All right, good morning. Glad everybody could make it here with us this morning. Glad for you guys that could join us online. Real quick, so the IF gathering uh, that's coming up, we have 26 spots left. Um, and if you didn't notice, it's for women. So you guys, you don't get to take any of those spots. So IF gathering uh, for women, 26 spots left. If you want to sign up, two ways to be able to sign up. One, uh, go onto our website, lifehuntington.com. And or if you can't figure out technology and get on the website, just see Jennifer. She'll take care of you uh, and be able to get you signed up. But a great opportunity for women to gather together. Um, and so if you haven't ever been a part of it and you want to, uh, we would encourage you guys to sign up. All right, so we are in a series called In God We Trust. Um, and the reason that we started this series is this uh, what I would say in 2020, uh, there have been quite a few things happening to be like, I'm not sure who I trust, right? So whether it be through uh, what happened through COVID or whether it be ha what happened through uh, the political election, whatever those things are, I think a, a many people have been like, man, I, I don't know. There was a lot of things that happened in 2020 that I would have never thought could ever happen. Um, and a lot of things happened in ways that made me really question um, who do I trust and where do I want to put uh, my trust and or it opened up this idea. Um, and I think this was eye opening for a lot of us in 2020 that maybe we had some misplaced trust. Right, so maybe we had it in some places that we should have had, not had it to begin with. And so this series is to go back and say, so as Christian people, that we should uh, consider where we have put our hope and our trust, and we should look back and see uh, what we need to change or what we need to do different, because at the end of the day, here's what we have to know. There is only one to trust, right? And that's God, right? But that's Again, we talked about this last week. I think that's easier said than done. You know what I mean? I think it's easy to say, hey, why don't you trust God? And I think for a lot of people, you would say, I want to say it, and I, and I might say it, but it's difficult because the situation that I'm in today, it's hard to trust him, right? Different people have different things going on in their lives that influence them in different ways. And I think although we say that you should trust God, I think it's difficult for people in times um, when God doesn't seem so trustworthy, right? Now, I know you don't want to say that out loud because nobody wants to say, I'm a Christian, but sometimes I don't know if I can trust God. But it's okay. Like, those are natural feelings that happen with lots of people that go through periods of time where they're like, hey, I just don't know. This hasn't worked out the way that I thought that it should. So this series is about saying, let's go back to what Scripture says, and let's look at what uh, Christ says to each one of us through Scripture and figure out is God trustworthy, which we'll see through this series that he obviously is, and let's see where our misplaced trust actually is and shift it in the right direction. So now, today is all about influence, so it's all about, like, who's influencing you, right, or what has led you to be, to a certain extent, where you are or what you're doing today. And a lot of that has to do with influence, right? So whatever influences you tends to uh, dictate the type of things that you wear, uh, the type of activities that you participate in. Um, and again, influence can go in all different directions. And so we're going to talk about where does your influence come from. And the obvious is, I think, I mean, you're in church, so you know what the ending of the story is, right? So we're going to try to help you understand how to be more under the influence of God and not under the influence of culture. Right? But I think at times it's difficult to really know that we're under the influence of culture. So I had a couple things to think about. So if you thought about this week, you know, and how you spent this week, or maybe how you spent the past couple weeks, and you thought about what type of influence are you under, here's some questions to think about. So when it came to your entertainment choices, right, which is the things outside of, hey, I just have to go to work because I doubt whether work's that entertaining. Right, so you got to go to work, but outside of work, when you have the decision to make whatever you want, you know, and, and whatever entertainment that you want to, to participate in, when you decided what that was going to be, was it decided by culture, or was it decided by God, right? Like, which influence are, or were you under? Like, is it, you know, like, I told you we get on these Netflix binges all the time, you know, unfortunately, that's the new phase of my life, is that all of a sudden you get onto this show somebody tells you about, and it's like, 
what am I doing? This is not the right thing to just sit there and watch TV this long. But anyway, it's like when the Netflix flicks thing comes up or the, the, the Prime video comes up and it's like, what's trending? You know what I mean? So it'd be like, oh, this must be good. And so you'd make a decision sometimes on entertainment on what's everybody else watching or what's everybody else doing. Or, you know, if you're a young person, we already decided this, a lot of your entertainment happens through your phone. You know, and so when you think about like what you viewed on your phone this week, you know, I'm still amazed. I think I told you guys the story. I'm still amazed how much people are on TikTok. You know, young people are on TikTok. It can't be that entertaining. I've seen a couple of the videos. You know, they're not. At least I don't think they're that entertaining. But again, you watch and, and I hear from people not just like for 10 minutes. Right, like you could get caught up in watching for hours. So just think about that. So when you think about your entertainment choices under the influence of culture, under the influence of God, or what about when you get one of these, right, a paycheck? So you think about your money, right? And once you get this, well, maybe nobody gets these anymore because it's all direct deposit, but so once you get money in your account, right, and you already know that there's money that's, well, hopefully, there's a little bit money left over that you get to decide what you do with, right? So there's, when you look at what am I doing with money, are we under the influence of culture? Like, hey, I got my check. Like, I can remember when I was a kid, it's like, I can't wait to be able to get my check because then I get to go out and get what I want. Now I just pay the bills. You know, it ain't no fun anymore. Right? You just get the money and it all goes to bills, right? But when you're a kid, it's like, oh, I can't wait to be able to get my check because then there's these things that I want. And part of what I wanted, I can remember when Sherry and I were first married, I always wanted a four-wheeler. And back then, that was weird because I had a three-wheeler. Anybody that old? Thank you. Right? Yeah, yeah, the 200X, 350X, 250R, I mean, all of that stuff. And then I wanted a four-wheeler, and I put it up. I took a picture of it or cut it out of a magazine. And nobody even gets magazines anymore. Took, cut it out of a magazine, put it on our fridge, and the idea was I was going to save my money because that's what I wanted, right? Influence. Everybody was shifting from three-wheelers to four-wheelers, and I wanted one, right? So my influence of my spending decisions were always filtered through what I want. Right? And I don't know that a lot of us don't struggle with that at times. Like, my spending decisions are filtered through what I want, not really through the, the eyes of, like, everything I have is a stewardship. So, like, everything that God gives us is really His, and we're only here to steward His stuff. And so, I'm going to view His paycheck, not mine, right? His things that I'm going to be pouring into instead of, you know, uh, of it being my thing. So, again, where does your influence by. Or if you think about this, maybe it's the, the words that you spoke this week. Anybody, like, you're in those conversations and they start to go in a negative direction. And we always say this, when you're in, when you're in discussions where you, they're going in a negative direction, you have a choice to carry your gas can or your water can. Anybody been here, right? And a lot of times we're like, yeah, and we're pouring the gas on, right? Because there's nothing better than to talk about that sucker, right? Or that person or the thing that they did. And we're just pouring it on because I agree with you. And all of a sudden this negativity into the gas just starts flowing, right? Because we already know we're under the influence of God, you know, you better be carrying a water bucket, Right? Because we already know the natural tendency of people is to get together and talk about other people, and it's usually not in a great way, right? That, that's a natural tendency for people. That's weird, isn't it, that that's a natural tendency to get together, and part of what you do isn't to, you know, uplift your brother. It's to talk about your brother in ways that we probably shouldn't be, right? So God says under his influence, carry your water bucket around, and as soon as those conversations start, start pouring water on them, because under the influence of God, gossip and negativity is not where he wants us to be, right? But if you think about, you know, the words of our mouth and the things that we say at times, get us down that negativity road. Or maybe some of you today would struggle with this, your self-worth, right? Like how you would look at yourself, you know, is it based through the eyes of culture? Now, I know a lot of people would be like, oh, no, my, my self-worth for sure not based upon the eyes of culture. But we already know, especially for young people, social media has caused a huge problem in self-worth of people because they're on there comparing themselves to everybody else. 
right? And, I, and again, I would be under the assumption that I don't think it's just young people. Now, all of a sudden, when you can see where everybody else went on vacation, you know what I mean? And you're scrolling through and like, I wish, and you know, I wish we could be, or you see what they're doing, and you're like, I could wish I could be more like them. Like your self-worth and the things that you're doing now is at your fingertips all of the time, and you can look at it, and I think at times we look and be like, I wish I could be, instead of I'm glad God made me to be. Right, that I'm in the place today for a reason. God made me, we're in this situation for a reason, and that my self-worth is never going to be dictated by somebody else's social media feed or their pictures that they put out on the internet that usually are fake anyway, because have you ever been a part of those pictures where they take them and then somebody zooms in, right? Ah, take that one again, right? And then they go back and they just try to get, come on, kids, you do this, don't you? Do you do it? bunch of liars. You do this. I've been, I've watched my own kids do it, right? They're out there like they're taking the picture and they're looking at the background and they're zooming in. They're like, ah, that one's not good enough. Do it a little bit. Hold the phone down here. Hold the phone over here. Turn it this way, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that happens because they're trying to create a moment. And I'm thinking like, this wasn't normal at all. Like this isn't at all, at all how it went, right? But they, they put it out there. And so, so part of your self-worth or, you know, where you're at and everything shouldn't be dictated by something that a lot of times isn't real. Um, and our self-worth, if we go through the idea of influence, should be given by God, right? Your self-worth and who you are as a child of God is not dictated by the world, but by him and the way that he sees you. And that might be something that, that you need to hear today is that's where your influence needs to come. Now we're going to go to First uh, Peter. So that's where we're going to be uh, going and looking. So as you're turning there, First Peter 5, I want to talk to you about this idea of influence. So you don't have to raise your hand because I know nobody wants to admit this at church, but have you ever been at a party where you're the sober guy and everybody else is drunk? Right, so nobody's going like, yes, one hand. One person in church has been at a party where everybody else is drunk and you're the sober guy. I'm not sure what that says about our church because you might have been the drunk guy, right? <laughs> I mean, that might have been, been the case. But you know what happens all the time when you're the sober guy and, and, you know, it starts with one drink and two drinks and three drinks and four drinks and all of a sudden, you know, that, that they're, they're, who they are and how they act tends to change just a little bit. You know, like you're standing there talking to somebody and they come up, man, I just love you. <laughs> you're laughing because you've been in these situations, right? Like you're just standing there and they're just coming up. They never put their arm around you in their entire life. But as soon as they've had five or six beers, man, you're their best friend, right? And then all of a sudden you ever hear it talked about like people wear beer goggles. Have you heard this before? Like all of a sudden somebody looks way better than they really look. You think you look way better than you really look. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because all of a sudden you're looking through a lens that isn't the lens that you really should be looking at. And the funny thing about all of those stories, like people do all kinds of stupid things when they're drunk, you know, because their inhibitions fall and they, they act in ways that they really shouldn't because they're under the influence of alcohol. But you know what's always funny about that? A lot of times you talk to them about the next, the next morning, anybody had these conversations? Do you remember when you did? And they're like, I don't remember anything. Right? Like, do you remember when you came up to me, or do you remember when you, you know, whatever the story is, you say it to them, and they're like, I don't remember anything. And the, the, the biggest thing with people who are under the influence of alcohol, they don't really understand that they're acting any different than normal. Right? Like, they're thinking it's completely, in the moment when they're intoxicated, they think they are completely normal. People who aren't intoxicated are looking at them like, holy, well, they're laughing, first of all. That happens a lot of parties when the guy that's falling down and, you know, you're laughing at him, first of all. Um, but then you're also looking at him like, this makes no sense. He's acting this way because he's under the influence. Now, I tell you that story because here's what I think has happened in culture. I think we've been intoxicated by culture and you don't even know it. Like, I think the things that are happening in culture today, we have been so inundated and intoxicated and, and essentially have made a lot of things okay that should never be okay, right? That, that we make decisions being not in our right mind. Does that make sense? Because of the influence of culture. And culture has made things that were completely unacceptable in the past acceptable, right? In the church, 
in your friend groups, in the people around you. It was never accepted before, but all of a sudden, things that were accepted in the church 20 years ago, you know, the, the things that wouldn't be accepted in church, in church today, right? It does, we've kind of talked around all of those things, and, and, and a lot of things have been put up with. They shouldn't ever be put up with, and part of it is, just like it is with a drunk person, you don't know you're acting that way because you're so intoxicated, that you really don't know the mistakes that you're making. So in 1 Peter 5 today, we're going to talk about this idea. Peter's saying to the people that he's writing this letter to, here's part of your problem. You need to be under the influence of God. Like that's where you need to be, is you need to be under the influence of God. But part of the problem is, is you've turned God into an experience and not an influencer. And this is what that means. He's saying, when you come to church... You experience God, and the influence is for an hour a week. And you're influenced a little bit, right? Like you come, and you sing, and you talk to people, and you kind of walk out with, and this is what I think happens a lot in church, you walk out with, you know, you might have taken some notes, or you might have taken some mental notes, and you walk out with, I, I need to figure this out in my life, but then you go back under the influence of culture, right? Peter's saying, you're going to have to understand that that this isn't just an experience. This isn't just to come experience God, and then when you experience God, all of a sudden everything's going to change. It's about being under his influence, for lack of a better term, to go with the story. You need to be intoxicated by him, right, and not culture. And so how do we do that, right? So how do we get to the place where we can do that? So we're going to talk about it uh, here in First Peter uh, 5, and we're going to start in verse 5. So if you're in your Bible or you're on your phone, we're going to start in verse 5, and he gives us some things or some principles that if you're going to be under the influence of Christ, if you're going to understand how influence can change you, we need to understand some of these principles. Here's the first thing that he says. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. So the first thing that he says is, and again, when he's saying younger, he is specifically in the beginning talking about young people. Right? Because a lot of times young people have trouble submitting to authority. Amen. Anybody that's raised kids? <laughs> right? I mean, don't they know most of everything? I mean, don't they have most of the answers? And haven't they already figured out life? And they don't really need any help from you because, I mean, what do you know? Right? You're old. Right? You don't get any of those things. And so he says, to be able to get to the place where you can be under the influence of God, you have to understand this. You have to learn to be under authority. And, and listen to me. I say this because this is a big deal. Listen, young people, if you struggle with authority now, of the people that are in front of you, think about being under the authority of God who you can't see at all. You understand? Like it's a, it's a concept of saying, I'm willing to submit to somebody, an elder, right, somebody, and it's not just, again, I put it in the stories of, like, parents raising kids. He's putting it in a spiritual sense. Like, you need to have somebody over you that's spiritually more advanced than you that can help you make decisions under the influence of God and not under the influence of culture, right? That's what he's saying. You need that person or those people in your lives, and if you can't learn to submit to earthly authority— you're going to struggle submitting to a heavenly authority, right? Like, you've got to be able to figure that out, right? So he says, for everybody in this room, you need to understand how to be under authority. Now, every time you talk about this, people kind of bristle up, you know, like, I don't need to, you, know, you don't want to say this, but you really feel this way. I don't really need anybody to tell me what to do. I mean, a little, right? Like, you already know what you're doing. Right? You only need somebody to tell you what to do when your life's messed up. Right? That's when you ask. You ask when your life's messed up, not when life is good and that life can be better. Does that make sense? Being under authority is this idea. And, and this is something that I had to learn in my life, is, is that I don't want to submit to authority only when I need help. I want to submit to authority because I know where I am is not where I need to be, and I need to go somewhere else. And somebody who has spiritual authority over me is going to help me get there. That's just the way that it works. Somebody who has my best interest in mind, which would mean this, and, and I try to live this out in my own life when I meet with people. When I look at you, I don't look at where you are. I always look at where you can be. 
right? So when I'm looking at you when it comes to, you know, um, my help in your life, I always see it as this. I know where you're at today, but I also see something inside of you that you might not see right now, and I'm going to help you try to understand that, and I'm going to help you try to understand what God wants in your life, because right now, it's hard to see. All of us need that person in our lives. If you don't have that person, you need that person in your life, right? You have to have somebody that you can submit to for two reasons. One, so we can learn to be under authority, and two, so that you can have somebody that can see you the way God sees you, because right now, sometimes you don't see it. You need somebody that can see what God sees, and that's what he's talking about when it comes to submitting to um, authority or to elders. And he goes on and says... All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he may lift you up in due time. So he starts off with clothe yourself in humility. So um, I brought this up because it's really important to understand that humility is something that you need to clothe yourself. I had to make sure this thing fit beforehand. Because, <laughs> like, this is the cafe worker's aprons. I don't know if they're made for big guys, you know. So I tested it out. It's going to fit. The idea is to clothe yourself in humility, which means every bit of your life, not just when you're on duty, right? Your whole life is about being a servant out of humility to other people. In fact, I had a wise person tell me this one time. He says, if you ever want to end up anywhere in life, understand humility and understand this. Every single person that you come in contact wears a sign. And here's what this sign says. Make me feel important. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter whether you like them or not. Doesn't matter whether you've had great interactions. It's the whole model, which I couldn't find a towel that would fit around me, but it was the idea of, you know, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? Here's Jesus, came down from heaven, right? I mean, in heaven, comes down, takes on the position, which is important. Not one time did he wash the feet of his disciples just to say, oh, I'm just kind of doing it today because I guess the, the butler didn't show up. You know, somebody's got to wash the feet. He's saying, I want you to learn a position of humility, and I want you to learn a position of servanthood, which means you're always wearing this apron, you're always wearing the towel, you're always in a place of humility and servanthood, not only when people ask you to be served. And that's, listen, it's so important because if we don't go into it with this idea, because I've been around people like this, you know, they, they sometimes serve even for their own good, right? Well, I guess I got to show up to do, and I guess I got to be, you know, I mean, they just do it because, well, somebody asked me to. As Christian people, clothed in humility, ready to serve at any moment, because we came to be like Christ, who said he came to serve people, right? That's what he said, right? He says, I have come to serve people. The other thing is, is listen, I'm going to I want to make sure you get this, because I've watched this happen in people's lives. They only put on the apron when other people are looking. These are proud people. You've been around a few proud people. Listen to me. If you're taking this apron on and off, you're not clothed in humility, then what will happen is, is you will get covered in pride. And I want you to understand this. God doesn't dislike prideful people, he opposes them. This is very important to understand. It's not like, well, I just wish you'd be a little bit more humble. You know, I just wish you would, you know, be a little bit nicer to people. If you are somebody who is struggling with pride, I will tell you right now, the fall is coming. It's coming. Listen, I've watched it in the lives of people. And and I, and I would ask you, because the problem with people who are struggling with pride right now, they can't see it. You know how pride works, right? Like you don't know that you're being prideful and somebody will come up to you and be like, man, you ought to think about this because, you know, God opposes the prideful and be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> right? Like they don't see it in their own lives. But when you take this off and you only put it on at times, 
you will struggle with pride in your life. And he says that I'm going to oppose it, you know, not just dislike it. So we don't want God to oppose us, right? So we need to be humble. We need to be clothed. We need to be servants. We need to love, you know, out of that way. The influence of God tells us, keep the apron on, keep the towel on. At every moment, look at the sign, look at the sign, look at the sign. It's not about you. It's all about them, right? Make me feel important. It's not about you feeling important. It's about them feeling important. All of your decisions you, you do through that. And it says the way that you're going to be able to do that is through God's mighty hand. Right? That's what it says at the end of that. The way that you're going to be able to be humble and not be able to be prideful is because God's mighty hand is going to give you humility and servanthood and the power, because we're going to see this here in a second. I don't know if you ever experienced this in your life, but sometimes it's hard to serve people that you don't like. Anybody? Right? Like, you know those people. You got them in your mind right now. <laughs> you know those people that you're like, well, they've burned me and they've done and they, you know what I mean? You're like, you can just, you, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, you thought it said keep record of wrongs, but it really says keep no record of wrongs, right? Because you got the list. You know, I mean, you got the list of why you shouldn't be serving this person because they've done this and they've done that and they've done this. And, and you, you come up with whatever those things are and you've kept your record of wrongs. He's saying, I'm going to, through my, if you put yourself under me, that's what he's saying. Put yourself under me and under my influence. And you'll be surprised how you start to view other people. You know how we talked about the beer goggles? Like these are the God goggles. Because now you see them as a child of God not as your opposition. <laughs> the world wants you to believe that your fight is amongst flesh and blood. Satan wants you to believe that that person that's hurt you is your enemy. It's not your enemy, right? It's not your enemy. And if you live in that and that bitter root takes, takes hold, but ever been here, right? Like, it started off as like, man, I can't stand that person. And then all of a sudden it became just you think about it a lot, right? And then all of a sudden this bitter root just starts to get a hold of you. And you can't hardly look at that person anymore without all of a sudden being negative. Regardless of what they do, you can no longer see positive. All you can see is negative, right? And that bitter root tends to grow. So he says, God's mighty hand, if you're under his influence, he will give you the vision to see people as child, children of God and not as the enemy. And he allows us to be able to do that. Then he goes on and he says in verse 7, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is the, the point where he's saying, when we were asking the question before, like, can God be trusted? You know, can I really, you know, uh, be able to get to the place where I can totally lean into him? Here's where he's saying, Cast all of your anxiety on him because why? He cares for you. You can trust him. He, regardless of the situation of your life right now, he is a God who can be trusted. He is a God that is and has been always working in front of what you're doing so you can trust that he already knows what's coming and so we can cast all of our anxiety because anxiety is caused by, we've talked about this a thousand times, by lack of control. Right, like you want a resemblance of control in your life. You want to be able to make sure the outcome of your life happens in a certain way so you get anxiety because it's not turning out the way that you want it. He's saying, listen, I got you. Trust me, right? Cast all of your anxieties because you have to know this. I love you. And I will do what's best for you, even though you might not think in the time, because I've been here. Well, that was a bad choice. I don't feel like that was what was best for me, right? Like, I don't think that was, like, if I was choosing, I wouldn't have chose that one, right? Or I wouldn't have allowed this to happen. I would have wanted something else. So he says, cast all your anxieties on him because he can be trusted. Then he goes and he kind of flips the, the script a little bit and he talks through this idea that so we need to be under the influence of God and he gives us you know the power, we need to clothe ourselves in humility. Then he goes to and let me tell you about what's happening around you so that you can be aware. He says be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to what? Devour. Not just bite, <laughs> not just wound, 
not just hurt, but to devour, right? So he says, first of all, if, if, if you don't think about this, you know, talk about being under the influence, something that you should think a lot about, is you better be alert, and you better be ready, and you better get your mind cleared up. So whatever's clouding your vision, you better get it cleared up. That's the whole sober mind. You better get it cleared up, because I want you to know something. As believers, Satan wants to destroy you. Not bite you, hurt you, harm you. He wants to devour you, and he does it in two ways, okay? The first way he does is he gets your mind focused on things that don't matter in the end, right? So part of the way that, that Satan devours you is to get your focus on things of the world, right? You hear John talk about this in his, in his Gospels when he's like, you know, if you love the world, you can't love Jesus, right? He doesn't say, yeah, love the world and love Jesus, and it works out, and you guys can have a commingling relationship, and it's really good, you know, they can go side by side. He says, no, you can't, you can't love the world and love Jesus, but Satan gets you to believe that you can love the world and experience Jesus on Sunday, and everything's good. You see what I'm saying, right? Like, go out, have what you want in the world, love everything about the world, then come and get your experience on Sunday, and now your, your glass is full and everything's good, and you go down that road, and all of a sudden you find yourself focused on things that don't matter in the end. Because we know this, right, that everything that we have, you know, um, that's material, all goes away someday. But if you think about how much time, money, and effort, and thinking time is put into things that are going to burn at the end, come on, it's a little bit of time, isn't it? Right? Things that at the end is just all going to go away. Things that seem like our life's work, and then at the end, you know, when people get to the end of their life, they're not really thinking about those things. So he, he attacks and devours through alluring us to um, things that are, don't matter in the end. The second way that he attacks is attacking the only thing that matters in the end, and that's relationships. Now listen, if you were completely bored through this whole message, wake up, because this is so important. Because I'm telling you, this, this is, I see this happening all of the time, and I want you to be aware of this. You know where he starts? Brothers and sisters in Christ dividing them. That's where he starts. He starts by taking brothers and sisters in Christ and dividing them. And, and again, he starts to, to make it so that we as Christian people focus on everything that's different about a person instead of what is the same. Is that right? You hear what I'm saying, right? Like he gets you to focus on, well, this person isn't this and they don't do this and they don't do this instead of what, what's Jesus want us to focus on? Brother in Christ, brother in Christ, brother in Christ, they might be different, they might have shortcomings, they might have all of these flaws, but at the end of the day, they are a brother and sister in Christ. Satan is going to divide you by you focusing on differences and not what the same thing is. The thing that I love about the small group that Tad started, uh, that uh, all of us guys go to, I think it's a phenomenon really, because there's a lot of men that go to this group. And here's what I want you to hear. Part of the reason that men don't go to men's groups is because they're differences. You know I mean? Women are a lot easier to be like, ah, whatever. You know, you're going to get together. But a lot of times with guys, there's like, well, you know, I was in business with this guy once, and he did, and I saw this guy do once, and he did, and I don't know if I can be in the same room, you know, with this guy. The thing about the, the men's group that I think is a phenomenon, there's like 20, 30, 40 guys here at a time, and they, I'm pretty sure, I don't know this for a fact, I'm pretty sure there are some differences. Would that be right? There are some differences, right, of the people that are in there. But you know what's so cool about it? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Because even though they might have come in focusing on some differences, they're walking out focusing on what matters most, and that's relationships. I've said this from the beginning. When, I, when God asked me to plant a church, I was like, <laughs> I don't really like the church. Do you know? You know why I don't like the church? Because you know what happens over time? People fight about things that don't matter in the end, and I can't stand it. I don't want to fight about it. We can fix problems, 
but I can't fix hearts. And when a church turns inward and starts fighting over things that don't matter and looks more at negativity and differences as it does in the joy of the Lord, I don't want any part of it. That's not me. It's not the way I live my life, and it's not the church that I want to lead. I want to be a part of a church that we can all look around. We all have differences. I'm pretty sure if you stay here long enough, you're going to be like, you know, he did this at one time, and I didn't really like it. Just count on that one. <laughs> That's probably going to happen. But I'm counting on the concept of what he's telling to us as brothers in Christ. Don't focus on that and don't let that divide because there is a bigger mission and the bigger mission is Jesus. And the way that Satan's going to devour your church is break it apart from within and get you to focus on things that don't matter. You know, the next relationship that he, that he attacks is your marriage. We know this from the beginning. Satan is attacking men. Listen to me. Satan is attacking your wife. It's the way it works. He will start with your wife because here's what he knows. If he can take down the wife, he can take down the family. And he's going to start with her. And he's going to start with her mind. And he's going to put thoughts and things are going to start going around. Listen, I've watched this happen. He wants to destroy relationships. He wants to destroy the family. He knows that if he can destroy the family, he has lasting effects. You hear what I'm saying? Like, when a family's destroyed, it's a ripple effect. It's not just a moment. You hear me? It goes, and it goes, and it goes. And again, it's not that God can't restore, and it's not that God can't do. I'm not saying that about anything. So two things that you better be aware of. Men, first of all. If you are not alert and ready and where you need to be and getting your life right so that you can protect your wife against the enemy, what are you doing? What excuse could you ever give? If you know the enemy's coming and you know it's going to attack the person that you love the most, what are you doing? You need to get it figured out. Don't waste your time. Don't get influenced by things that don't matter. Enemy is coming. Be on your guard and be ready. For wise, understand this, is that the place where you're vulnerable the most, again, I'm not a woman, but I think that you could talk to most people and understand this, is that it starts here. And these thoughts and these things and stuff just start swirling and and if you hear or you feel that, if you can't go to your husband right now, go to somebody and sort out lies from truth. Sort out lies from truth. Get back on track. Don't allow God to divide your family. Don't allow him to ruin your marriage. You know the next place that he attacks is our kids. It was somewhat sobering when we sat in the Hands of Hope meeting, um, which is helping foster families and foster to adopt families figure, you know, what do we do with the foster system and what do we do with these kids? And the guy in the meeting said this, is that um, most kids that are trafficked in the United States, sex trafficking for girls, you know where they go to get the girls? Out of group homes. You know why they're in group homes? because no family would take a risk and ever bring them into their home. And so they grow up and age out of the foster care system with no father and no mother and are sex trafficked into horrible situations, right? Our kids are vulnerable. Why do you think James says pure and faultless religion is taking care of the orphan, and the widow, the vulnerable, right? He is going after our children. And listen to me, it's not just kids that are in group homes. It's your kids. It's your family. What are you doing to protect them? What are you doing to help them? 
How are you helping them understand influence and the things that need to happen in their lives? Because it's our responsibility, whether it's, whether we're their parents whether we're their spiritual mentors, whatever they are, we're here to give them what they need, to help them along the way. We can't make them make decisions, but we can't also disconnect them and say, well, they'll grow up at some time. They'll figure it out at some moment. Or it'll be too late. Right? And I'm not saying, you, you, you know this, like I'm, I'm raising kids too. <laughs> And in a perfect world, they'd all listen and they'd all change their hearts and it'd all be good. I already know that doesn't work, right? I, I get that. That's not what I'm saying. But it doesn't change how much I pray for, how much I try to lean into, how much I try to influence. Like, it's never going to change that. I'm, remember we talked about last week? I'm not in charge of the outcome. I'm only in charge of the obedience. I'm only in charge of the obedience, not the outcome. We need to be Obedient. He says, be alert, be on guard, and understand what he's trying to do. Then he says, resist him, standing firm in faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So he says, again, if we want to be under his influence, you got to get to the place where you can resist Satan. Right? you got to resist him. you got to be alert and know you have an enemy. You need to know where he's going to attack and have a plan to be able to defend it. And you need to be able to resist him. You need to figure out what, how he is influencing you, and you need to resist it, right? And he says, not only resist it, you need to stand firm. The only way to stand firm, and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, the only way to stand firm is to be grounded in faith. It's the only way to stand firm. The only way we're going to stand firm, and I told you this, I think that there's been a, an attack on absolute truth. I think there's been an attack on truth in general and where truth actually comes from, right? Standing and resisting Satan means that you're going to stand on what is true. What do we as Christians know that's true? The Word of God. Don't go around it. Don't try to remake it. Don't try to make it into your own words. Don't try to make it fit your life or your culture. When you read it, read it as the truth. Read it as what it says it is. Resist Satan, stand firm on what is true, and God will honor that. So the, the worship team's going to come back up. I'm going to uh, finish up here in verse 10. This is how he ends it. And he says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. He gives us a call here at the end when he says to us, listen, we're all going through this, right? Part of the suffering is, is we get off track and we're influenced by culture and, and, you know, suffering comes into our life and we don't know how to handle it or what to do with it all. And he says, everybody's going to experience suffering on this earth. But under the influence of God, you can understand this. You will be restored. Whatever you're in, right? And, and every single person in here has a different story, right? Everybody in here is struggling through different things. But there is a promise. Steadfast, resist Satan, stand on truth. Here's the truth. And, and I don't want this to be a, a downer for you, but I want you to hear this, right? For all of us, he will restore you either on this earth or when you stand in front of him someday. I don't want to give you, you know, this, paint this glorious picture that you're never going to have to, you know, the, the suffering that you're experiencing right now, that it's just going to go away and on this earth, that you're going to, I can only promise you what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. You are a child of God. And under his influence, you can be assured of this. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He wants you to have influence in this world, in good times and in suffering. He wants us to, by being under his, his influence, show what the love of Jesus Christ really looks like to a world that is hurting a world intoxicated by culture, inundated by the world. 
And scripture says this, it's a dark world, right? It's a dark world that needs a light. And under his influence, this is what he says. Through your relationship with me, you will be a light into a dark world. You will be a beacon of hope. And that all of the things that we go to, we can be guaranteed of this. We will be restored, whether it be on this earth or when we stand in front of him someday. But we can land on his promise, that we can settle into this, that under the influence of God, inundated and intoxicated by his love, standing in his presence is where he wants you today. So I'm going to give you a couple things to think about. Ask yourself this question. Where has culture moved you off course? Where are you being influenced? Where are you going in the wrong direction when it comes to influence in your life? And here's what I want you to do, whether you write it down, whether you think about it, don't wait till tomorrow to change it. Don't wait. You need to change it today. Whatever is influencing you in the wrong direction, you need to, first of all, just be okay of saying it. You know what? My influence right now isn't good. I'm in a relationship that just keeps pouring gas on thing and negativity, and I'm part of that negativity. You need to get out your water bucket today and pour water on it. Be done with it. Be done with it. Do not allow a bitter root to grow. If you and a brother in Christ, when, if you are kept out of community with people because all you can see is negativity and differences instead of seeing what is common in Jesus Christ, today, look through a different lens. See people for who they truly are. If today you are struggling with pride, clothe yourself in humility and be a servant to all. And when we do that, God will be able to use us in amazing ways. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So, Heavenly Father, we love you, and we know, Lord, that it's difficult at times to understand when we are intoxicated by culture. But, Lord, today we believe um, that the world has led us astray. Lord, we want to we come under you. We want to be intoxicated by your love. Lord, set our hearts on you and let us be a purveyor of what your love really is. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
so let's end with this. Let that be our anthem, not just for today, right, but for your life. Set your heart on the only thing that matters, and that's him. Allow his influence to not just be a part of you, but to fill you. And allow his heart, let our, let our hearts be set on him so that we can make decisions and we can do things influenced by him through the Holy Spirit and allow the world to see what a Christian love really looks like in this world. So thanks for being here with us in person. Thanks for being online. We'll see you guys next week.